Good Monday morning, everyone. It is the first Monday. Is it the first Monday of December? Yes, it is, because it's only December. It's the best one. The best. I know. I am on like, I don't even know. I'm thinking it's like December 18th. But to be fair, the 12 Days of Pace Journeys has started. So if you've missed it, go and check out my Facebook page and you will get day one, two, three. And tonight is day four. We've had exciting conversations. Last night we had a James Bond conversation, which anyone who knows me, that Roger Moore and Sean Connery are my favorite ones. And last How night- How can those we, two both be your favorite ones? That's ridiculous. They have such swag and I love it. I love it. Bob Brill yesterday gave me- You said Roger Moore and which one? Sean Connery. Yeah, they can't both be. Connery is classy. Roger Moore is hokey. They can't both be your favorite. Okay, That's but ridiculous. I really, I really love Daniel Craig. I, Roger Moore was one of my favorites too, but dang, no. Daniel Craig is tough. He's tough. No, that's not it at all. But you guys, before we dive into fun more conversations, you guys are listening to Author Talk with me, Amy Russell, Valerie, and Sebastian De Castell is our lovely author guest today. But Bob Brill last night, you guys gave me a run for my money when we were talking about. James Bond, because I can go on for hours for these conversations. And he felt similar to how you did, uh, Valerie, with Daniel Craig. And I just can't get into that. I just yeah. can't. I'm a sucker for, for the old classic. Time They're wrong. I know. They are for sure. But I will tell you one of the funny stories that we've had so far on the 12 Days of Page Turners, besides having some audio issues and connection issues, which happens on a live event. So those are things that just happen. Absolutely. <laughs> Before we went live on one of them, I thought I was on a completely different day. So I had my whole lineup, people, <laughs> names, everything. Completely different than the day that we were on. Because mentally, I'm like towards the end, you know, mentally. And so I'm lucky that when I was running off everybody's name and it wasn't matching up with their names on the screen, I was like, wait, am I on the right day? And they're like, I think so. So then everybody started questioning whether or not we were on it the right day. It was just a whole fun little mishap that happens on fun things. But I did get it right before we, we went live. So those are some of the behind the scenes that you guys so don't did you get panic? to see. Briefly? Yes, I did. Yes, I literally did. I checked my calendar and of course my calendar wasn't adding up because it's still in November because I haven't moved, I haven't flipped the page up. So I was really having a heart attack there for a little bit, but we got it all figured out before we went live and fixed it and it was wonderful. So those are just things that happen. Okay. They happen in the oh, Amy world of, yeah. of live events and I lose my mind. Um, but this weekend was one to put in the books, I guess, for me, besides the 12 days of patroners, which is an exciting, fun event. And I love doing it. You guys all know that I have lost a dear and close friend to me, which is Greg Kelso, the con hour, the con man, as I call him. And his family did a celebration of life yesterday. And I went with it. I took my daughter Meadow with me and we dressed up as Gwynnum and Raya from The Last Dragon because they wanted everyone to come in their cosplay because you guys all know that Greg loved that. Um, and I am not one to cry in front of people. That is not my thing at all. So I did not speak at his celebration of life. But if you're curious or you want to know how much Greg meant to me because he truly was a brother. Russell has watched it and Valerie has watched it. So you can mm -hmm. go over onto my page 
onto Greg's page and watch my tribute to Greg. And Amy, we're doing a Comic-Con. Yes, Russell. Would you share it on Author Talk page so people <laughs> can go there and see it too? I will. If you want to see me ugly girl cry, literally snot coming from my nose and having no wipe it, I will share it. I'm more than happy to share Greg it. Earned it. Greg page. earned it. Greg mm -hmm. has earned it. Greg was like a brother to me and was really important in my life and love for Comic-Cons. And we had started Tri-City Comic-Con together, which is still going to move forward just at a later date with everything that has happened. But it will still happen. It will be his tribute and in memory of him. So that is going to happen. But it was a very fun and lively event just as greg's life was very fun and lively and he saw the best and and positivity in everybody so i will share it for everyone because russell just loves to let everybody see my ugly girl cry <laughs> so i will share it but that's one of the things that happened this weekend that was kind of a closing of a chapter for me which is a chapter i didn't want to close so it was a lot of feelings and coming to terms with that but the 12 days of pace runners kind of lifted my spirits and we talked with james bond of all things with bob brill which is always so much fun i could have those conversations all the time but what all did everybody else do this weekend who wants to go first russell go i'll go because i'm the happiest from the weekend like that uh not only did the Longhorns earn their way in the playoff, but yeah. we bought tickets to the Sugar Bowl oh. on New Year's Day. So we're going to be there to watch oh. them play Washington. So I'm very excited about it. Nice. And um, that's the biggest news for me for the weekend is that I'm going to the Sugar Bowl to watch my Longhorns play for the national championship playoff. And you know I what that it. reminds me of, Russell, when um, when Vince Young was playing for the Longhorns and that big game. I um, was there. Oh, were you really? Because I, I was there. That was a nail biter. Just that was incredible. Incredible game. Incredible. I love it. I love it. Valerie, Next. what did you do? Uh, I was at a market all weekend uh, for a, a Sci-Fair FFA holiday market with over 200 vendors. It was nice. a little crazy, but it was very cool. Uh, I would say the funnest part of my weekend, actually, that was fun. That was great. That was great. Because I love meeting all the kids. I told you the kids come by and they read my books to me, which is just like, ah, hard. Uh, but, but we went to the Ugly Sweater musical, Christmas musical with Theater Under the Stars. And that was so hilarious. If you, you know, if that doesn't get you in the spirit, they were bringing audience members up. They were, you know, everybody had ugly sweaters. It was just so silly and creative. It, that that that's that was that was a cool thing too. I've never heard of that. That sounds like fun and torturous at the same time because I would was, have anxiety about being they, put up on stage. No, and they had snow come down. Nice. They were, you know, they were. It was just completely silly. There was a little boy. He must have been about twelve, and he, they brought him up, and he was like loving it, just like you know, hamming it up, just modeling his sweater. It was. Hilarious. He had, and the sweaters were great. You know, like somebody was a fireplace with stockings hanging off their arms and somebody was a snow globe with the front and the back on their sweaters. I was like, come on. Nice. That's cool. See, I've, it sounds like so much fun to watch other people do those things. But like I said, I would have so much anxiety about being brought up on stage that you could always say no. <laughs> I couldn't handle I couldn't handle it. You know, I just meant to like ang anxious anxiety wise. 
Well, that's, yeah. that's a sentence today, okay? Anxiety-wise, I could not handle that show. But, but you know, then awesome. then you go and be at these holiday markets and you're like, okay, I have all this like fever going on. I mean, Christmas fever, like, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, yeah. so it's, it's good. I love everyone today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Sebastian, what about you? Um, well, I, I hardly ever suffer from Christmas fever um, or liking everyone. Uh, but, um, probably the highlight of, of, uh, of my weekend was uh, was an author uh, Dungeons and Dragons game. I'm not really a Dungeons and Dragons person per se, or I, you know, I, I always like the idea, but I, I haven't tended to play it much. But a while back, um, an author friend of mine uh, wanted to put together a, a D&D group that was like all authors. So it's it's a group of uh, six of us, also uh, published author or all authors, um, of various genres, and it was meant. I think his, I think the the dungeon master sort of concept here was well, it's going to make for some really great storytelling because you've got these authors. But he he chose this um, set of uh, adventures that are called the Candlekeep Mysteries that are meant to be very kind of condensed. They're very one adventure per night kind of thing. Um, what he and and he just loosely connects them together by having it be that we're all like the orphan siblings. We were all orphans brought together by this mage who, who gets trapped in some book in another dimension. Which all would sound perfectly fine, except for the fact that the we spend almost the entire game constantly squabbling as siblings and like basically conjuring like like creating these horrible backstories about each other and just you know that's the problem with bringing a bunch of authors together to play dungeons and dragons is they just forget to you know that there should be some adventuring in the adventure game and it just ends up being all sibling squabbling so <laughs> that sounds great it looks like amy is being attacked from behind <laughs> see that i see that for those listening on the podcast amy's having a little girl whisper to her from the door behind her yes. so that's why we have well heard. i know but i was really into sebastian's whole thing like i don't do D D at all i don't even know how that game is, is run but your way sounds freaking awesome like yes. making up backstories about all your siblings and like they're not really your siblings and just go on this whole story thing like I would play that. That sounds awesome. Like I'm into that. I love that. That was uh, that would be the highlight of my weekend too. That's pretty amazing. It's a I little weird it. because the classic sort of D and D type setup is you know everybody gets together like and you're in some sort of tavern or something and you find word of some some problem, some monster, some mystery, and you go off and do it. We end up losing like two or three hours of gameplay just still in the tavern arguing over what to do and whose fault it is. So it's kind of like a real family. Yeah, I was just going to say, that sounds like a family event where just like, you know, you're kind of like, wait, no, I said this, you said that, and then we finally eventually get down to business. Yes, I'm, that's. I think that's what intrigues me the most is because I would be that person. I'd be like, no, 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 you said this. What are you? No, pause the game. You said this. This is what we're doing. You know, like that would be me. Okay, so, so, so our family is so it. serious about Monopoly. We've had brought people in because we kind of break the rules a little bit and do our own thing. And people are like, I don't want to play with y'all anymore. Y'all are too too intense. And so maybe does it get like that for you, Sebastian? With that too. 
Um, it's not that it gets too intense. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, it sounds like what you know you're describing a monopoly game that's hyper serious, and the problem for us is is this game falls off the rails because uh, no one's quite serious enough about. It. See, yeah. I believe in that, Sebastian. I believe in giving things the relative importance that they are. Yes. That's why my wife is always so angry at me about why I play pickleball. It drives her crazy because she's so competitive. And I'm like, it's called pickleball for a reason, yeah. right? Yeah. It's You're playing a game for a reason. You're there to have a drink, enjoy your company. Exactly. Have fun. That's yeah, the whole, I love but we it. We break a little rules here and there. You know, we're yeah. doing under the table money. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See, I feel like it's the same way whenever I go to my girls' gymnastics. I don't know, class that they're in. And they're in like the threes class. Okay. So they're not really doing anything, but you have the, the team, like the uh, competitive team going and they're hauling it and vaulting over on the things. Right. Well, I'm sitting there with all these other parents and I'm like, you know, I feel like if we had a margarita, we could do that. Like, I feel like we could, we could do it if we really wanted to. So I think, I don't know. I don't have a competitive bone in my body though. Everything's just meant to be fun and to have fun, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> okay. So you guys, today is oh. day four of the 12 yes. page of page turners. Yes, Russell, hold on. 12 page of page turners. So make sure that you tune in tonight at 7 mm -hmm. PM central. We have New wonderful authors tonight, holiday specials galore. So you're not going to want to miss tonight. And remember, it's going to go on until December 11th. And then we're yes. going to have everybody back on because I am recording each night. I am breaking down each video. So you will hear everybody's holiday promotion on the 12th again, three times that day to take advantage of the last day of these promotions. So make sure that you tune in if no other day on the 12th to take advantage of all of these because the best gift you can give anyone this holiday season is a book and an escape from reality to learn something or just help encourage authors and readers or the writer that you have in your family. So Russell, take it away. Thank you to those that are listening to us on the podcast while they're driving, working, whatever they're doing. We appreciate it. We know that most people don't listen to us on Monday when we make this, but during the week. And we thank you for listening to us. For those watching us and don't know how to find us, Amy, how do they find us? Yeah, so you can find us anywhere that you can search for a podcast. So Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, mm -hmm. literally anywhere. Mm -hmm. Type in Author Talk, look for the crimson and gold logo. If Russell can find us, so can you. That's our new motto for finding us, for sure. Mm -hmm. But make sure that you tune in. It is fun to watch us. You can go over to our YouTube, Facebook, or any one of my social media channels watch and engage and comment with us we are notorious well i am for controlling what comes out of my mouth but not my facial expressions and i talk a lot with my hands because i'm very animated and i you're more than welcome to laugh with me or at me i do both at the same time but we like engaging answering your questions and just engaging and hearing from our listeners live in time like russell said we're extremely humbled and just grateful we've been doing this for eight years and january will be soon to be nine and all started with the idea from Russell. So it's just exciting. We've met so many people in the writing community, so many talented authors like Sebastian. And so we just are having the time of our life and having a party every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Central. So Valerie, speaking of authors and writers, let's get Sebastian talking about his latest book. Okay. And I, I, just one quick thing. I know Russell shared a, a thing recently. It was back in the day when it was, I think it was just you and Sandy. And that was 
so great talking about Brian Bearden's book. And I was like, so that is great. People can actually go back and see memories, you know, from author talk about all the great tips and information that we've shared over the years. That's, that's incredible. Incredible. Sebastian, it is so great to meet you and see you. Um, I was just looking over all your stuff and wow, Goodreads loves you. They love you so much on there. Just five stars everywhere. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, uh, first of all, let's talk about what we're writing about because it looks like it's all young adult. No, no. Um, I, I run, so I write both uh, adult fantasy and uh, young adult fantasy. I also write the occasional uh, kind of quirky uh, mystery novel, okay. which, um, you know, every uh, major crime publisher uh, across the UK, Canada, the United States, really around the world, uh, have all uh, roundly rejected as largely unpublishable. So it's a bit of a claim to fame for 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 me. It's really rare rare when when you write um, fantasy novels for a living and uh, and then you you write something else and people say don't quit your day job. Um, but uh, no, I, I write uh, um, mostly for adults. I, I mostly write what I like to call swashbuckling fantasy. Cool. So fantasy that's often sort of inspired by you know a little bit that sort of sense of you know, the, the Three Musketeers or the Princess Bride or the sort of Errol Flynn era of, of, of films, that kind of adventurous uh, and daring uh, sort of fantasy, um, often set in quite, you know, dark sort of, you know, grim worlds, but not themselves sort of grim dark. So, you know, fantasy went through lots of different periods, one of which was, you know, we had very classic sort of what we think of as heroic fantasy, you know, good, noble characters going through a world that itself is basically good and noble, but is only being ruined by evil, you know, forces and stuff like that. And in, in the, in the, in the, you know, early 2000s and, you know, and, and still to this day, there was sort of a phase of going, no, we're going to write these very grim, dark sort of tales, which are, um, you know, it's, bad people in a bad world it's the sopranos equivalent of of the fan of the fantasy genre um and my first novel trader's blade um which i don't have a copy sitting there um is what was very much for me was sort of going well i want to know what happens if you put the kind of heroic like fundamentally flawed but but also decent characters that i used to love when i was first writing fantasy into one of those very dark grim worlds where being noble doesn't always work. Um, and so Trader's Blade sort of launched a series called The Great Coats about traveling, dueling magistrates, which was sort of inspired by uh, a real world phenomena, which was the 12th century justices itinerant uh, in England. So because, of course, when you needed laws to apply across a whole country, but you didn't have a court system, you didn't have courts in every tiny village um, across a big country, they had these traveling judges Mm -hmm. um, who would go on a circuit, which is where you get the term circuit court uh, and circuit court justice, um, and, which still exists, those terms still exist in the United States to this day. And the United States, in fact, had circuit uh, judges who would ride with two lawyers from town to town. Apparently, Abraham Lincoln was a circuit court lawyer who would ride with another lawyer and a judge, and they'd go town to town and hear cases and take sides. Sebastian, so, I've actually appeared before one of those judges in Texas. Oh, wow. So that's funny you're talking about them. Yeah, yeah. It's 
it's an is an interesting sort of tradition. And for me, I kind of wondered at the time, you know, I wonder what happened when you've got this sort of lone judge who has to go into a town and issue a verdict. What if the verdict they're issuing is against a gangst, you know, the local crime lord or 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 a local noble who's who's got, you know, you know, their own soldiers working for them. Um, and so I kind of magnified that with the great coats. So they're the traveling order of justices who sometimes actually have to duel uh, in order to enforce verdicts. So that series kind of launched my career as a fantasy author and, and really sort of set the tone for what I enjoy writing about. I also have a young adult series, which I think is what you spotted, Valerie, which is yes. uh, uh, the Spellslinger series, which is a six book series that's been translated into more than a dozen languages. Um, uh, around the world. And, and then the, uh, there's a spin-off series called the Argosy series off of that. Um, and now, finally, I'm just uh, uh, starting the new uh, Great Coat series that comes after the previous quartet that starts with um, Crucible of Chaos, which is, um, and the series is called Court of Shadows. And it's a, a very sort of mysterious series about all these strange threats occurring in this country and what the various heroes are trying to do about it. Amazing. Amazing. That's, that is like, so I love how you've evolved all these different um, stories into different, um, I guess, readers, you know, for the, the, in the genres itself. So the young adult to the adult and, and everything, everything has a little fantasy edge. Is that right too? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Spellsinger is also a fantasy series. Spellsinger, I used to, I used to like to introduce it as it's like I, everything you loved about Harry Potter, I threw out. Um, so it's it's about a young man who lives in a very uh, magical society uh, from a family very potent in magic who thinks that they you know love him and they're very important and uh, and he's on he's about to have his sixteenth birthday where he has to pass his mages trials uh, and his magic disappears um, mm -hmm. and just fades away and almost to nothing. Um, and when I when I was when the series was first being bought as an eight book series, which was kind of remarkable at the time that a publisher would go, we're going to buy eight books. I remember the editor that they assigned sort of going, well, saying, OK, but so Kellen, the main character, he's going to become like a powerful mage as, as we go. Right. He's going to like get all this. And I was like, no, that's not the point of the series. <laughs> when when I was 16, what I was going through is discovering that, you know, I wasn't very special. Uh, I wasn't the smartest kid in my school. I wasn't the most athletic. I certainly wasn't the best looking. I didn't even have the best personality. And uh, and and trying to figure out how do you deal with that to be to make yourself special when you're not actually born, in a, you know, special. Mm -hmm. uh, and just learning the tr and so it's a very trickster oriented series with Kellen learning all kinds of tricks and learning to trap, you know, traveling and learning things from other people and that whole process. To, to survive in a world where there's lots of magic and where even his own family at certain points are, are kind of out to, to stop him from getting in the way of their plans. Um, so I love that kind of feeling. I love that feeling of like the, the sort of the, the character going through something that feels a little different from, uh, from a lot of the stories we've seen before. Um, and that, and that kind of informs, uh, you know, that's the process for me, I think, really, as a fantasy author is just going like, what's a character doing something that I just experiencing something I haven't really seen a lot of before. How do you go about doing your character development? Because it sounds like it's a lot of process of self-discovery um, in terms of just like growing at, or just, this, you know, just moving along to get the story. Is that is that your approach when you're doing that for your main character and all your characters? Well, I, I'm never certain, you know, we, 
as authors, as, you know, there's so much writing craft uh, available to to new writers now that wasn't really available back in the olden days, as as we the call olden it, days. the olden days. Um, uh, and but I'm not sure that all that craft stuff is always as helpful as we think it is. You know, in other words, there's all kinds of books on how to make great characters and how to make great plots and even how to make themes and how to write world building. Um, but actually, the only thing we work with as writers is words. Um, and so I will trade a, a whole outline uh, of a novel for one really good line of dialogue. You know, if that line of dialogue comes, I'll just go, wow, I love that. I'm going, I don't that's going to take me somewhere else that I wasn't expecting, but that's where I'm going. I think it's really important to, um, to allow the words to sort of have dominion over the writing, if you will, you know, when you, because the words are like, they're, they're the magic formula, right? Like that's the, they're the thing that we're going to put on the page that other people are going to read and that they are going to create a story in their mind based on those words. So, um, sometimes what happens is I just have a character or I'm, I'm exploring a character or I'm exploring a scene and someone says something or talks in a certain way and I'll go, that's the thread that I want to follow. In the case of Crucible of Chaos, which is the, the, the latest book, which is a kind of, um, it's a kind of swashbuckling fantasy uh, mystery set in this uh, monastery where the monks appear to be going mad. Um, and they think the gods might be to blame. So this this uh, great code of magistrate on a circuit, he, he's told that he needs to go and adjudicate a dispute between factions of the monks because in the previous series of the great coats, um, which people don't have to read to enjoy Crucible, but, um, but the gods, many of the gods were killed. Uh, and so, uh, which is a strange thing that you can actually do in fantasy worlds. Um, and so the the monks now have are have split into factions over who the new gods are that are coming to to Tristia to the country in which it's set, and so uh, this magistrate need to I, I want to have this magistrate who would go and have to adjudicate this this dispute, but in the process discover you know all the supernatural events and try to figure out why it was happening and whether there were sort of demons overtaking this monastery and what was going on. Um, it's inspired a little bit by Mont Saint Michel, which, if you've never been, is a is a monastery off just off the coast of France. There's a causeway that connects it, and the causeway floods periodically. Um, yeah, Russell Russell recognized it. And um, by the way, and and a, uh, I I was so I was there um, two years ago. I went and stayed there, and it's and I discovered the coolest way to travel in the world. By the way, this is something if if you should, everyone should try at some point if they feel comfortable and safe. Which was when you go to Mont Saint Michel, it's this incredibly gorgeous twelfth, uh, thirteenth, thirteenth century sort of monastery on a, on a hill on this island. There's a little Ooh. village, around, but it is absolutely packed like body to body with tourists, even in the height of COVID where everybody had to wear masks, it was packed to the gills. And I remember I it was just like, it just felt like you, to me, like you're, I was just trapped in a really bad Disneyland ride. Um, but I had just flown out from Vancouver, which, um, you know, is, is, was nine hours uh, behind. Um, so naturally I woke up around three in the morning with a little bit of jet lag and I, you know, usually you wake up, you just sort of sit there, stare at your computer or something. And I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go outside. I'm not even sure you're allowed to go outside in this, you know, of the, of the hotel, you know, one of these little hotels in this town. And they went outside and it was completely deserted except for cats. <laughs> and 
try to imagine it's this 13th century island village monastery you know, with a monastery at the top and there's nobody there it felt like walking back in time it was the only time i had that feeling like when you walk down a side street where there weren't uh you know any any regular st uh, modern street lamps um of which there aren't many on the island you suddenly felt like okay i know i know what it felt like to be here and so i really wanted to bring that into a story um and so to round back to your question valerie um when i started writing this sort of magistrate who's going to be investigating this um I just suddenly had this sort of notion of this incredibly pompous kind of voice, like a <laughs> row with a sword. Yes. Um, and and that sort of became uh, Estevar Boros, who is this this magistrate who has come here. He doesn't even want to adjudicate this trial. He's fresh off of a, of a judicial duel in which he was badly injured and shouldn't even be doing any of this. Yes. Uh, and so, um, you know, one of the things that's always fun when you're writing a, a an adventure novel is start your character uh, right off the bat with a terrible injury that makes it hard for them to fight. Um, what I love is that as you're speaking, I have an, an entire visual of everything, everything. And when I, I teach creative writing, and so when I tell my kids, I'm like, give me your imagery. And they're like, imagery. I was like, paint me a picture. And you did all of that in just like minutes and minutes. And you put us in that setting with your character and just like we can visualize the whole story progressing as you're talking. And I think that's incredible, which is why you're probably an award-winning author. It's just incredible awards all on your page here. Um, and then also that this is your 16th novel. So you've got this down to a science and bringing your characters to life sounds like, you know, your forte. Can you tell me a little bit what piqued your interest in bringing all these types of characters together? Was it something that influenced you as you were younger or what happened? I think what uh, one of the things that always fascinates me, I think one of the, you know, the, one of the great things about writing, one of the reasons why I think it's something everyone should do um, is that you can bring any part of yourself to it, whatever your experience is, mm -hmm. you can, you can bring that. There's people that go through, you know, master fine arts programs and writings and study all the classics and do all that. And they bring that to it. And that's terrific. There's people who have never taken a course in their lives, but they've had a lot of lived experience and they just love reading and they bring that to it. There's so many different things you can bring to it. One of the things I tend to bring to my writing is, is my, is my flaws as a human being. Uh, one of which is, um, I have always had this tendency, or I used to have this tendency where I would meet somebody and I would just make these sort of snap intuitive judgments about them. And I go, okay, I know I am never going to like this person. They annoy me. There's, I don't like, I, I think they're bad people, you know, uh, and almost without fail, uh, I would turn out to be completely wrong. Um, and, and also, you know, or I would meet someone and go, oh, I can tell I'm going to be friends with this person and end up being like mortal enemies. Um, and so that, that process of like the unfolding discovery of mm -hmm. a character, that's mm -hmm. the thing that I love. I guess that's one of the reasons why when I'm creating a character, I don't tend to start out by creating a, a, a really rich backstory for them or, or details about who they are and their motivations, which is, you know, one of the, one of the easiest ways, really, if you're trying to create a character is you start with that. You start with, here's this character, here's their want, here's their need, here's their 
here's their haunting memory that causes them to make bad decisions. Um, but I just really like to unfold characters. I like to discover them as I go. Mm -hmm. And, um, and often I used to like, you, you know, like you, I I'm often asked to, to, to teach or to, or to give, um, you know, classes and sessions and things like that. And one of the things I used to push writers to do, and I, I, because I find it useful myself is sometimes it's, think less about character than more about relationships. Um, and so, for example, The Great Coats, my first series is, you know, Falcio is a main character. There's lots of things to love about him, but what people love is his relationship with Kest and Brasti. It's a trio of these swashbuckling characters. They're very different. They're bickering all the time. They have all kinds of reasons why they bicker and things that they don't say, you know, that there's, so there's lots of room for subtext. Um, and that stuff's lovely. And in the case of Crucible, um, I had Estevar, I pair him with a, a young woman from the island uh, named Kaida, who who he doesn't really know what's going on, like why she's there, whether she's actually there to help him or actually try to uh, ensnare him in whatever is, you know, sort of supernatural activities going on on the island. And creating that relationship, it's always those relationships that magnify things. In fact, the first relationship in the story is Estevar and his mule. Um, because he's kind of a, like me, he's a very verbose kind of person. Um, and so he's often talking to his mule who doesn't talk back, but you know, he just interprets whatever the mule does as if it's a response. And so you're always just, when you're, for me, when I'm writing, I'm always just looking for those. I'm looking for those little sparks that you can kind of develop. And if I'd started out by going, okay, here's what each of these characters is going to be, then mm -hmm. I restrict how interesting I can make the relationship. The characters will still be interesting, but the relationships may not be as much. So I will sacrifice a lot of foreplan of, of pre-planning about character in service to the relationships. If I can make that relationship, you know, like I say, with, with Estevar and his mule Imperius, if I can make that relationship feel poignant, um, then I'm happy to, to change whatever I need to about a character. And then also, it, I did. We were talking about maybe like your love for travel. So does that also, you know, just going around and just being inspired, like you said, the the monastery or or so. Just and how does that influence like different types of stories that you see, like the young adult things evolving one way, and then your other adult novels evolving another way because of your experiences also. Yeah, travel is. I mean, that's for me. That's kind of the dream. Like every 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 uh, you know every novelist has their sort of their dream process you know and it might be like i just want to live in this you know on a giant yacht and tour the world i write my novels on a yacht or something for me it's always i want to kind of go on an adventure so to speak and kind of write you know a magnified story of that as i'm going so i very often will but again you know planning is is very difficult for writers and it's not not because it's difficult to figure out how to plan but but the plans uh, always break quite easily mm -hmm. um so I will sort of go traveling somewhere and think I'm going to write, you know, come up with the, the essence of one type of story only to end up finding something completely different. Or I will think I'm going somewhere where, you know, the, I'm going to the interesting place through some uninteresting place, but it's the uninteresting place that inspires the story. 
for example, I was in London um, uh, going to, I was, I was at a conference or um, a convention uh, on, on a book tour. And, and, you know, I've been to London a million times and I love London, but that wasn't sort of the point of what I was, I was going to go visit some much newer places that were new to me and exciting. And I was um, coming back from the conference. I, 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 virtually always just walk everywhere in London, even if it's like an hour and a half walk from place to place, because it's such a beautiful city to walk in. And I was coming back and it was at night and I was coming back through Hyde Park because my hotel was on the other side of uh, Hyde Park. I was staying in a student residence, I think at the time. Um, and, you know, Hyde Park uh, is, was not that interesting to me. Um, but uh as i but but the gates were locked and i couldn't figure out how to get through and then i got through one and i couldn't figure out how to get out again and the thought of sort of what happens if you go to hyde park and you just nap because it's a beautiful place to sit in, under the sun and you wake up after the gates are locked and um and that sort of sort of got me thinking about oh and you know what if you woke up and just as you woke up from like bleary-eyed you saw you know some strange you know russian spy about to shoot somebody um, and that that became the basis for a book called The Trouble with Tuppence, which is um, this mystery novel that I'll be uh, putting out next year um, that I really love. Uh, and I never would have come to that idea uh, without just being in a different place. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like what I was saying before about getting up at three in the morning and walking around a place rather than just when all the tourists are out. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if, if a person doesn't feel safe doing that, then that, then they they shouldn't. But a place like Mont Saint Michel is, is actually pretty safe. It would you know it's very unlikely to be attacked there um, at three in the morning. But it's it's when you see a place not as not as everyone intends you to see it, but when you see it kind of from the margins. You know when you go in a or or if you're um, I used to be a, a musician full time and I made my living playing in rock bands. And, and sometimes you'd you'd, you'd be playing this big event in one of these gorgeous five star hotels, you know, where just everything looks like it's Downton Abbey for the 21st century. Um, but when you're a musician, you often have to take your gear out through the back, like loading bays and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you'd go through these kitchens and these these hallways and be like, oh my God, this is like the most seedy, disgust. Like this is where people must get murdered. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Russell knows about that. Russell knows about things like that. Uh, you're so, this is so descriptive. Sebastian, you do such a great job of just describing things. Uh, Valerie, can I ask one question? Of course. I have a thousand <laughs> questions I'm dying to ask you. One question is you were talking about uh, indirectly your love of dialogue. Mm -hmm. So when was the last time you wrote a piece of dialogue and that night you were convinced it was the greatest thing you had ever written. And then you woke up and erased it because you were so disgusted. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? <laughs> well, I tell you that, uh, well, that happens fairly frequently. Um, <laughs> I have a habit, uh, so as some writers do, uh, of writing uh, dialogue that feels very real because it corresponds to how I talk or how the people we hear talk. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately often what we want or we think we want, right? We think we want realistic dialogue. What we really want is, um, is I guess, the, the, that pompous word, verisimilitude. Uh, you know, meaning things that seem like they're real, but aren't. Mm -hmm. And so if you take any sentence 
probably that I've uttered during this conversation and you transcribe it at the, as you're transcribing it, it will seem, yeah, that sounds really real. That sounds really like full of life and, and important or, or whatever meaningful. And then when you read it later, you'll be like, Oh my God, did, did that guy ever use a, a, a punctuation symbol at all when he talks? It's just like a constant stream. But, but, you know, also like, like Russell, you were saying too, just the stressing of that important dialogue or the, the, just the comments sometimes. I have had stories, I've been reading novels and I will actually take a picture of a section because I'm like, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. And I feel like you, we could probably go through your books and say like, that is brilliant, this section and that section, because you're, you're really just, you know, diving in and just paying such close attention to everything that happens, just detail by detail. And I was also just fascinated that all the languages that your books have been translated into so international from Russian to, to um, what was it, Romania? I was like losing track here. I was like, all these languages, so many languages. And that's so amazing. Turkish and Danish and Dutch and just Hebrew. And just the fact that you're reaching like across the globe with these stories. And that is so impactful with your words. And just, you know, people are, uh, I'm sure they're very appreciative that you're diving into these stories and making them come to life. How does that make you feel? Uh, it's one of the things that makes me the happiest, you know, as, a, as an author, there's, um, you know, as an author, your, your, your fundamental source of joy is just writing a story that you believe in, right? Like it's, it's mm -hmm. the making of art. Like people often, lose track of that, including like people in our business lose track of that. They think it's, you know, the, uh, it's winning an award or, or getting a big check or something like that. Like those things are all, they're lovely, but the fundamental joy is that joy of going, I've just made some art that I believe in, right? Whatever else happens to it, you know, we've, we've all had that experience. You finish a story or manuscript, you're like, there's a moment where you go, I don't care if nobody else but me likes this. This was, this is really important. I'm glad I did this. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, when that, and the reason why that's so important is that when you do that, then all those other joys are magnified when they come along. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, having my books translated is amazing. Uh, I often find it bizarre. I'll have moments where I remember when um, I think the Ukrainian edition of um, Spellslinger, or the first Spellslinger book was published uh, recently during the war. And I was like, they told me like, they, I was like, oh, I can't believe you guys are so like, they're so amazing. The fact that like Nebo, like this Ukrainian publisher is still publishing novels and translating novels in the middle, in the midst of a war at the same time as my Russian publisher was translating one of my books. And I was like, this is such a strange thing to think of that, that all this stuff happens. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I've been very lucky. My public, the publishers for the Spellslinger series, um, when they first started out, were, were really great about just going out there and, and selling translation rights to, um, to other countries, to Italy, Germany, France, uh, mm -hmm. Israel. I'm always amazed when I get the books coming back in, in Hebrew, because I, I, mean, I can't read in Hebrew to save my life. <laughs> um, but just all of these languages, it's such a fascinating experience to see. And yeah, and I get, I, because I get letters from people in those countries. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank heavens for Google Translate. Cause, <laughs> yes. So your new, uh, the, the new one, the 16th novel, when is yeah. it coming out? Is it already out? 
Uh, Crucible Chaos comes out on December 7th. So by the time some people are listening to this, it'll already be out. Um, and it is the uh, prelude, we call it, to Court of Shadows, which is the upcoming series. Um, and yeah, it's it's a very much, it's like having a swashbuckling Hercule Poirot uh, go into a haunted monastery and uh, try to find out whether demons are secretly taking over or the monks are just going crazy. I love that. I love that mystery aspect. So are we able to find it on Amazon or do we need to go to your website? What's good for us? Uh, it is everywhere. Um, you can get it on Amazon. There, uh, um, you can get it in uh, Kobo if you're in places that use Kobo. Uh, it's out in um, it's out in uh, ebook and audiobook uh, everywhere in the world. The hardback comes is is out in the UK in, on December seventh, and then comes out in February um, in North America. And so, yeah, it's. Um, uh, I'm really proud of this book. I mean, it's a fun book. It's a strange book. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people think of it. Sounds exciting. Exciting. What do you guys nice. think? Amy Russell? Russell, well, your closing comment. Sebastian, I want to salute you. Not only are you a serious writer, but you're a worker. You work. You're writing. You're producing work. So I salute you. Good job. Mm -hmm. Oh. Thank you that's so like, much. That's very That's kind like of the you. biggest compliment I think Russell's given anyone. That's wow. <laughs> it's a good Monday, you guys. It's a good Monday. Valerie, yes. what about you? Closing comments, statements, the questions for yes. Sebastian before we let him go this morning. Sure. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And what a what an insightful. Um, I love the story behind all your, your stories. And just I love the fact that you're tackling these, these um I guess these topics of swashbuckling and everything because people need to know that because that's what built, you know, the whole, the whole genre is like from, you know, even the three musketeers, people still love it today. So why not continue and then have a little fantasy aspect. It's just been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Valerie. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely talking to all of you as well. Yes. Sebastian, you know, you are welcome back anytime. We love talking to you and hearing your passion for your writing and your works and just all the novels and creativity that just comes from you and inspiration. So you're welcome back anytime. So thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come and hang out and party with us. It's always such a delight, Sebastian. Thank you, Emma. It's been lovely and I'd be delighted to come back anytime. Yay. Well, you guys, we hope you all have a fantastic Monday, a great rest of your week. But until next Monday, bye for now, everybody.